Welcome to the Ruthless Aggressive Podcast, episode 65, where I'll be covering part one of WrestleMania 19. Change up the format a little bit for these. First of all, I'll be breaking into two parts because it is such a long, epic show. I decided it'd be best to kind of break it up so this episode does not run too long and also kind of change up the format a little bit. Um, I thought it would be fitting since a lot of this show is me bringing on different guests to talk about um, this era of wrestling. I thought it'd be cool um, for this big kind of milestone show, um, both in the in the timeline and for me doing the podcast, um, to kind of break it up and have different guests come on and cover different matches and different parts of the show. So the format's going to be a little bit different, a little more transitions and stuff like that, but I thought it'd be cool to change it up. Um, in honor of WrestleMania, you know, you got to get everybody in the card, get everybody their pay-per-view um, payday. So I wanted to do that. And I thought it was just a fitting for the entire vibe of the pie. Like I said, it's, it's a lot of me bringing on guests and getting to chat with different people. So it was only fitting that I kind of bring that uh, full circle on the WrestleMania pie. And, and like I said, it's, it's a cool milestone. I've been doing the pie for quite a while. And the, the timeline moves very slow just by its nature, the way I'm doing it, when I, you cover it week to week like this in detail, that it's going to take a while to cover an entire year. So I started the pod at, at WrestleMania 18, or right after WrestleMania 18 with the draft. And so this culminates an entire year um, in the timeline, which for me is a big deal because, it, again, it took a while, um, you know, over 100 hours of recording the show. So I just wanted to do something a little bit different. Hopefully you enjoy it. Um, if you do listen to the show, I thank you. If you just started listening, if you've ever listened, um, I, I greatly enjoy it. If you ever want to be on the show, reach out to me. But um, yeah, thanks for listening to the show. And I hope you enjoy the way I have um, I've decided to cover with this. Um, a little bit of an experiment for me, but again, wanted to make it a little special. So 
we will go ahead and get started uh, right now. I live my life for this moment. We as athletes breathe every breath of our careers for nights like WrestleMania. This is the culmination of everything I've ever worked for. WrestleMania is called the granddaddy of them all, and you stand on the grandest stage of them all. I've been waiting for this my whole life. There's really that X factor and intangible I can't explain. You just have to feel it. WrestleMania is the chance to live forever. WrestleMania is fever, man. WrestleMania is the Super Bowl of professional wrestling. That's the uh, World Series of Wrestling. It's like the Olympic Games, the gold medal match. It's the tournament of all tournaments. 55,000 people are about to scream my name. That's an adrenaline rush every single time I step through that curtain. No matter how many times I'm here, I still get goosebumps. It doesn't get any bigger than WrestleMania. All right, so we kick things off from Safeco officially. In the openness, I have um, my uh, most frequent podcast uh, compadre, and that is Logan Crosland. Logan, what's up? Not too much, Jake. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Um, so you will be my uh, first to kick this whole thing off in this uh, this experiment I'm doing with this show. But I know you are a uh, WrestleMania. Are you a WrestleMania 19? I believe so, right? You're the, I think yeah. we talked. You actually did the Go Home episode, too. Again, most frequent podcast compadre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was on the last episode. And yes, I am a 19 truther. So um, right. proud to be here. <laughs> right. <laughs> So we'll get into it. We are, of course, live from Seattle, Washington at Safeco Field, home of the uh, Seattle Mariners, which uh, before we get into the video, we'll talk about the opening package. So I know you have some thoughts about it, but the open itself, like the video package, I thought was awesome, as is typical of this era and WWE in general from about 1996 onward. Uh, but the, it's awesome. It has everyone very serious talking about the like the rush of uh, going out there for all these fans, and it's the biggest show of the year. Uh, they show a lot of various huge moments. I've talked about it before, like I think starting with 17 and definitely into 18, you see them leaning into the history a lot more. So you see a lot of uh, clips of the famous WrestleMania moments. It just kind of puts over like the grandiose nature of Mania, especially with them kind of moving towards these bigger stadium shows for Mania again. But uh, Logan, I know you had some strong feelings. Uh, what'd you think <laughs> about the video package? But I know you had some strong feelings on the uh, Peacock version of this. Yeah, I, I really thought the video package was strong, and the, and the music that they did use was was good, and it went along with what uh, what they were doing. But um, on the original, I had the VHS of this growing up, and I've you know watched it a bunch of times after that. Um, and they for some reason dubbed the music, and I've always had a problem with the you know them dubbing music on this kind of stuff, especially when it's like stuff that doesn't have words, stuff that doesn't it's just a beat or whatever. But they feel the need to change it. I'm like, do they not own the sound that they play <laughs> along with the package or whatever? But it's just a minor nitpick. But the the package itself, even with the music that they have on the Peacock version, is uh, still great. And uh, it really runs through the history, kind of gets a little a little sound bites from every guy that's in all the important matches. So I, I thought it was really well done. Right. Yeah, you'd think that would be a, a Jim J special there, like uh, an yeah. original. I feel like most of these are these uh, pay-per-view themes. So. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Someone will have to do a podcast on this eventually. Going through all these dubs, be a very <laughs> that's what <laughs> that's what we'll be in about ten years. Going through the, the uh, Peacock dubs, we run a material. Uh, yeah, but do, they, a whole, do a whole series about how shitty the Hogan one is, right? And like tracking down what's the originals. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. but 
then we cut to the arena and I have to say, like, um, I love the look of this show. I mean, I'm always a Mark Friday kind of uh, anything that kind of blends the outdoor stuff with it, especially at WWE, because it's not something they have done a ton in their history. I mean, obviously, in more recent years, doing the manias in the outdoor stadiums and stuff. But I always think this looks cool. Now, uh, you know, you kind of have the open air a little bit, but it's kind of semi-domed. Obviously, it's a baseball stadium. So it just has a unique look. Even I feel like even at this point, I'm so used to seeing the um, – even with all these manias in recent years, like I even feel like I'm almost immune to the football stadiums. I mean, the mm-hmm. sets and all are cool and unique, but what, I feel like those most football stadiums kind of have a similar look. So to get in a baseball stadium is kind of cool with the open air. Now, I know you are um, – I know you are uh, famously, it annoys you when the ramp is not straight. I think we've discussed this before. So does the ramp here set you off, Logan? No, this is one of those weird, weird occasions when it, uh, it actually kind of works for me. I don't know why, uh, but it it just, it kind of works for me in this situation. I mean, I don't really, I, I feel like, a lot of times when they do it, they kind of have a choice whether to do that or not. And I really don't feel like they had a choice in this, uh, this, this time I thought they kind of had to do it, uh, that way, but I, it doesn't bother me as much on the show for some reason, but it's probably because I'm a 19 mark and I, nothing about the show is wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we kind of, we start off and you could, it's definitely still light out, but you t- can tell the sun is starting to go down. So really cool. Look here. We, um, we come out of the gate with, um, Somebody he opened SummerSlam, and uh, he's going to open up WrestleMania here, and that's going to be my boy, Rey Mysterio. And he's, of course, going to be facing Matt Hardy. Uh, this has been an ongoing storyline with Matt Hardy trying to make weight for the Cruiserweight title, winning the Cruiserweight title, and now Rey will try and reclaim it for the uh, the little guy. So um, definitely, I, I, as far as the matches on the show, I mean, it would probably be hard to go wrong with most of them, but I thought this was a pretty logical choice for for an opener. Yeah, no, this is a great choice for an opener. Get the the fast, uh, speedy cruiserweight uh, Rey Mysterio in there, facing the kind of bigger cruiserweight and Matt Hardy. Um, breakneck pace in this one, but we'll kind of get into it as the match. Always, oh, we talk about mm-hmm. the match. And uh, Ray gets the the jump intro, which I feel like he's been using a bit, but it's <laughs> not like one hundred percent. Somebody does every single entrance, so that was cool to see. Mm-hmm. He's got the. I'm afraid of botching this. I don't, all of our, uh, <laughs> yes. Okay. I was going to say Daredevil. I was nervous because, like, if I fuck this up, I'll never hear the end of it. I'll say uh, <laughs> Right. So he's in the Daredevil gear. Uh, we then get Matt coming out. So Ray gets a huge pop again. Perfect guy to be the first one to come out. Uh, Matt's, uh, Matt facts for the evening are he's appearing in his fourth mania. And then, again, I just love how they're starting to sprinkle things that aren't even phrased as facts. Like, Matt wonders how did mania, how do they do mania without him? Which again, not a fact. It's just like something he was wondering about. It was amazing. Like nowhere close to a fact. I love him. Yeah. But I. Mm-hmm. But we've we've covered the, this feud in depth. It's been really well done. I thought. I think it, Matt's been doing the heel stuff, but he also carries himself in the ring. I think he kind of knows how to work with these smaller guys. Um, so, like you said, Logan, breakneck uh, pace here. Uh, Matt takes a high speed. A bump over the top right right from the beginning of this, uh, flipping over the ropes, which I thought was a pretty sick one by him. He's not always the guy who's kind of known for – I mean, obviously his brother is known for the more uh, daredevil bumps, but I thought that was a pretty sick one. Uh, Ray hits a sunset flip to the – tries to hit a sunset flip to the outside. Matt holds onto the ropes and gets a little leverage from Shannon Moore, uh, who gets a cheap shot on Ray. Matt ends up taking over, goes on offense. And then Taz is r- right from the beginning of this. Um Right on his bullshit, like, uh, <laughs> like talking about the banana juice 
and uh, drinking tea. And um, like, I know you uh, had a few thoughts on this, uh, Logan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, uh, they, they, he just talks about the banana juice. He he kind of even sneaks a oh yeah, BJ uh, in there a little bit. Uh, I, and then they talk about tea and tea bagging. And um, <laughs> they at one point he's talking about how uh, Shannon is helping Matt uh, be on a strict diet so he can keep the weight down. And he even says that Shannon has his own followers that are called more morons. So. Uh, <laughs> I, I, just that whole that whole little uh, middle segment, and then at one point uh, Matt kind of crotches himself on the rope, and Taz says he landed on his yam bag, and I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. So, yeah, the commentary is just on point during this one. Right, uh, Taz's view of being healthy and dropping weight is banana juice and drinking tea. I guess this was in the era where like green tea and shit was still like, you know, consider like the end all be all if you were like a health nut. Yeah, um, I was gonna say, and Cole talks about teabagging throughout the rest of the match after the. Oh god! Match, so just yeah, he he was killing me though. Yeah, like his he goes, I'm still trying to figure out this teabagging thing. <laughs> Such a cornball. Um, but you know they're really good because throughout this they they do the whole all these stupid lines about bandages, but like Taz is so good, he's so seamless and like doing these goofy lines. But then at the same time, he calls the action. I mean, I talk about it all the time, but you could see it. It's just totally on display here where one moment he's calling the moves and then he's switching to banana juice and teabagging and he's right back into calling, like calling the spots. It's so good. Um, but uh, Matt counters Ray every time with the power moves. So Ray's going for his, uh, as he called the unorthodox uh, offense, but Matt's kind of got it scouted out. So they do a good job of getting that over in the match. Like um, Ray goes for like a Ronnie, catches him and slams him, does like a side slam. Another Taz line is he asks Cole, because uh, Ray's got the, the Daredevil suit, and he asks him if he likes latex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, that was another one. Uh, and I think that's when he says, I'm still trying to figure out the tea bag, and now you're asking me about latex. <laughs> um, uh, Ray finally gets some momentum. He lands a Rana. Shannon distracts, uh, which allows Matt to hit the twist of fate, which you think that's going to be it, but Ray manages to survive. Matt quickly throws him up top, goes for the splash mountain, which I thought was going to be pretty uh, a pretty sick spot, but it ends up counter Ray counters it to Arana, which was kind of equally sick. So, uh, yeah, Matt pulled out some shit in this match, but uh, Matt accidentally nails Shannon on the apron. He ends up hitting the uh, uh, Ray goes for the six one nine. Matt avoids it, ends up rolling Ray up and steals it by holding the rope. So, I mean, the match itself I thought was pretty awesome. I mean, it was just a breakneck opener. I think it probably went about. Uh, I would say seven or eight minutes. So not a ton of time, but I thought they made the most of it. Um, awesome pace, good kind of psychology and storytelling and pushing that like Matt is kind of knows Ray's ways and he kind of knows his way around it, but then he kind of steals it at the end. Did you think uh, you get into your thoughts on the match, but do you think it was the right decision having Ray? Cause I mean, I would have totally thought Ray was going over here. Yeah, I, I think I probably would have given Ray the belt here. But I, if you think about it, Matt's been doing this character for a while, but he's only been champion since uh, No Way Out. So, I mean, he hasn't had the longest reign, I guess. But, you know, just a big event, big, big, you know, this is the biggest show of the year. I, to give a face kind of a big pop win at the beginning of the show might have been a good idea. But I kind of get where they're going. You know, he, he, he continues to reign after this. But, um, yeah, I probably would have gone. I, I probably would have given the belt to Mysterio in this uh, situation. And would you believe me if this match only went five minutes and 37 seconds? Wow. Yeah, yeah wow. I thought it would at least have been like eight or something. 
No, I don't think it. Yeah, five thirty-seven. Um, but yeah, I mean that just plays into it. The nonstop pace they go, they go hard for those five minutes and thirty-seven seconds. Um, I always love the superhero thing that Mysterio did with the uh, Daredevil here. He does other ones in the future, but admittedly, this one isn't one of my favorites. Uh, I don't. I, for some reason, I just don't love this uh, outfit that he has on, but I think it's cool that he kind of has a thing that he does every year, uh, admittedly. Um, but I always love that Cole acts like there's a pre-match weigh-in for every time uh, Hardy has a, a <laughs> title defense, kind of a comical little thing. Um, Moore immediately tries to get involved, but Ray kind of sn- uh, sniffs out their plan and kind of, you know, throws him over the top, throws him over the top rope and then throws uh, Matt out on top of him. Um, the match starting hot with a corkscrew plancha. I thought that was pretty awesome. Like I said, nonstop pace. Uh, Mysterio's speed uh, at this point is just a marvel. He just go, It seems like he goes 100 miles an hour all the time. Uh, the finish was super chaotic, but very, very good stuff. Uh, I thought it was really smart that, you know, Mora inter- interferes throughout the match, but he didn't directly lead to the finish. But I also like the Matt had kind of had to kind of cheat to sneak one in on Mysterio. So uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was a perfect way to open the show. And like you said, the commentary was <laughs> on point. Uh, you know, they mentioned in the comedy, but they also did a really good job talking about the superstars and uh, the match itself. But um, I went uh, three on it, actually. Yep, I'm right there with you. I went three as well. Just a perfect, like, five-minute opener. You get a guy like Ray. I mean, like I said, I mean, would have been cool to have Ray, like, in his first mania here, um, have a cool moment winning the Cruiserweight title as he's kind of synonymous with, synonymous with the title. Uh, that would have been cool, but I kind of get it. Like, you know, maybe if you were going to go that way, you'd make it a bigger, like, somewhere else in the show and give it a bit more time, and maybe this feud's going to keep going. So, I mean, there's enough on this show where I think you can live with it. The cheap win, maybe to keep the feud going and save Ray's uh, win for later on. So, not, you know, not the end of the world. Very true. But hot opener. Uh, I'm glad you come and talk with me about it, Logan. Nobody, no better person to open the show than you. But, um, uh, yep, with that, we will uh, we will keep on rolling. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. My next guest is my beloved pal, Mr. James Grunberg. What's up, Grudy? Hey, Jake. How are you doing? I'm good. So we are going to, we have a few, we have a little hodgepodge here for you, Grudy. So first, so we're just coming off of the, um, of the opener, nice little opener that we, uh, Logan and I talked about and we roll right into that. You see what I did there? We see that uh, Nathan Jones has been laid out, but before we see how that plays out, we go to our first Limp Biscuit performance of the night. So um, we're not going to get to uh, Crack Attic yet, the theme of the show, Grudy. Instead, we get Roland to play out uh, The Undertaker here. We get the uh, the Limp Biscuit backup dancers. Um, we get a, uh, as they perform, we get like a random child. It looked like a child. I don't know. Maybe it was a small man in blue, like randomly start dancing, which was weird. Uh, and then Fred Durst walks down the ramp. He starts, uh, he heads down to the ring, and that is when Taker comes down the ramp and sort of meets him at the ring. And uh, yeah, I don't think this. Uh, we'll get to the other one where they they perform again. And also, we have to mention that they are introduced as WWE's favorite band. So, would you agree with that, Greta? Do you think Limp Bizkit is WWE's favorite band? 
I think so. Like, mm-hmm. at first I was like, are they really WWE's favorite band? They might be. Uh, but then you right. also look at, like, how many times Motorhead has uh, has performed right. at uh, WrestleManias as well. So I think it's a tie between Motorhead and Limbiscuit. Now, Jake, imagine if Limbiscuit got to do their uh got to do my way live at the Asherdale mm. WrestleMania 17. That would have blown the roof off of uh, WrestleMania 17 as well. It definitely would have. I think they do and I, I don't know. I'll get, what what do you think? I thought this was as far as I mean, I feel like we had some we've had some pretty shitty ones in the past like um the uh, infamous, uh, what is the Chris Warren band at WrestleMania 14 who are awful, like just terrible. Oh, like, yeah. Jim they Ross look like they can't even play. Yes. No, go ahead. <laughs> Jim Ross had to apologize for that one for the uh, national anthem being botched. He was like, I'm very sorry, folks. Yeah, but uh, the, when they, like the DX, it was cool though, like for like the whole DX thing. I thought that was pretty good it was just that they got botched when they uh screwed up the national anthem it was like um what is this right yeah like they the sound on those was terrible like it looked like they weren't even they couldn't hear their instruments or didn't know how to play them like regardless of your feelings about Limp Bizkit I think this is a good performance especially given the the occasion like the crowd's fairly into it I mean it fits the you know it fits the vibe of WWE at this time frame like um, so I, I think they do a pretty good job with that. And, you know, you get the Undertaker tie in. So that's pretty cool. So I think I think it's a good as far as WrestleMania or like live pay-per-view performances by like a band on a wrestling show. It's definitely in the upper tier, I would say. Oh, yeah. Like um, it, it was a really good performance. You no, know, it tied in with the Undertaker. I'm surprised that they went this route instead of um, the Undertaker's like new theme, uh, like, you mm-hmm. know, like the big theme um you know nice dance coordination um like it was a very cool entrance like when fred durst goes to the rings like keep rolling 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 and then the pyros go off so that was pretty cool like um as well like the explosions going off too so uh, really nice um really nice performance by uh fred durst and lemon biscuit for this one Yes, it uh, looked very cool in the venue. I've I've gushed about the venue, um, and we'll continue as the show goes on. But it's a cool one. But they play Undertaker down, and he is going to be facing as we get to the match, uh, Train Show, uh, A Train and Big Show. Uh, it's actually going to. They have pivoted to a handicap match, and uh, of course, the story here, Grundy, I'm sure you're familiar, is that Nathan Jones. They did not feel he was. They've kind of um, got cold feet on him a couple times, where they were. It looked like they were going to debut him on SmackDown, like in a match, and then they kind of uh, went away from that. And you're thinking, okay, maybe they just want to save his big debut for Mania. But obviously, they thought he still was not ready, as they just at the last minute do this beatdown angle. We'll see him in a minute, but. Um, were you surprised that they decided to? Because, I mean, we've seen some pretty rough people <laughs> wrestle. Like, he, like he had to be pretty bad, I would imagine, for them not even to put him, like, in a tag match where Taker can basically walk him through it. Yeah, I'm very surprised. Like, how bad do you have to be to, um, you know, not be in Undertaker's club, like Undertaker's tag team partner, where it's like, you know, Undertaker does most of the work. You know, the big tag you get. And it's like, you know, maybe um, 
Nathan Jones just does like, you know, like his like kicks and whatnot. And then Undertaker still gets the pin. It's like you could have had just like had the spots where it's like, you know, you don't exploit how bad of a wrestler Nathan Jones is. But I'm surprised that they didn't even go with that route. They just took him completely out of the match because I thought he looked like he was going to be a big star back in the day. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, like this guy seems cool, you know. Right. It is It is very damning that they wouldn't even put him in here for this for a quick match. But anyway, it's going to be Taker versus these two in a handicap match. Uh, they do mention the streak here. So that we are in a point where they are mentioning that Undertaker is, has an undefeated streak. Jones cool. is nowhere to be found, of course. They try to jump Undertaker for the beginning, but he avoids it. I thought there was some nice energy. I thought the highlights of this match are when it was Taker and A-Train going at it. Like, uh, I feel like uh, A-Train for a big guy can work a pretty good pace. And Undertaker has kind of stepped his game up in this era. Like, he's moving more towards that MMA Taker stuff where he's kind of, he's not quite as plotting. So I enjoyed it when those two were in there. Like, uh, Taker takes a post shot and uh, Show gets some shots in on the outside. Show gets in. Taker avoids the choke slam. He uh, A-Train's back hit. He throws him in an arm breaker. Uh uh, but Taker can't get any momentum because he's got these two giants coming in at him. Um, so every time he gets a bit of momentum, they kind of tag the fresh guy in. Just kind of standard handicap match stuff. But it works here because you have two guys that kind of, you could believe it, going after Undertaker. Show comes in, he kind of grinds it down. So this is when the match slows down a bit with Show being in there for a considerable amount of time. He does the ab stretch. Uh, train comes in, he does the same. So to me, this was like the slow part of the match. Like I said, Taker ends up powering out. Train clubs at him, starts talking some shit to him, but then he fires back Grooney with the soup bones, of course, and then the DDT. And uh, this is where Taker's comeback comes in in full effect. Um, but uh, he hits a flying clothesline, the Big Show, but they still cut him off again. Uh, it looks like, uh, sorry, Big Show hits him with the choke slam, so the streak is in danger. But like any good wrestling heel. Big Show is completely distracted from what he's doing, whatever. Nathan Jones comes down the ramp and just chases him, just abandons his opportunity to end the streak to chase down Nathan Jones. He eats a roundhouse kick. Very shrewd move by the camera work here to uh, shoot Nathan Jones' roundhouse kick from behind him. That way, if he uh, whiffed on it, uh, you couldn't tell. because you could. I mean, it looked okay from the way they shot it, so good on them. Because, uh, again, they put it in a way where even if he did kind of botch it, you weren't really going to be able to tell. So he comes to Taker's aid. He big boots A-Train, and Undertaker gets the tombstone and uh, keeps the streak alive for, you know, what's considered one of his more lackluster, you know, definitely not a main event level match. But I still think, uh, you know, I thought the match was like maybe a smidge too long for what it was, like, you know, the slow spots. But uh, it definitely wasn't like anything offensive. Like, I thought it was a good pace. I enjoyed whenever, uh, like I said, I enjoyed the parts particularly with uh taker and a train i thought were pretty good they told a you know a typical basic handicap story where it's like you know he the two guys are keep tagging out and he's kind of the face working from behind and then you i guess at least got to see nathan jones come out and do something um i don't know if it would have been better than him being in the match or not but to me this was just like a perfectly fine like two and a half nothing spectacular but did what it's supposed to do gets taker a win crowd pops for taker and that's what it was. So, uh, what'd you think, Rudy? I went two in. I yeah, I went two and three quarters. Uh, nothing special. Maybe that was because of like the whole 
Nathan Jones uh, saga and that, oh, it's not going to be a tag team match anymore. But these two, like these two monsters, A-Train and Big Show, like they're the perfect heels, you know, coming off of uh, No Way Out 03, you know, A-Train and Big Show beat the crap out of the Undertaker at the end. So, uh, you know, it was like the perfect for uh, Undertaker to uh, get his revenge on uh, Big Show and a train and uh you know that spinning sidekick looked really really nice actually like it looked like nathan jones landed on the big show and um Mm -hmm. you know i also said that uh there was like a nice uh nice leg drop uh by the big show too to undertaker at one point you know uh undertaker has that huge ddt to a train um and then, you know, the tombstone to end it. So the Undertaker is now uh, 11 and oh. So, yeah, two and three quarter stars from me. Very good. Good job mentioning the uh, the record running. I didn't note that, but so good on you. Good job with the details. Uh, but yeah, just a good one. I, you could definitely tell, like, again, I've been, since I started the pod, I mean, Taker's been pretty good. He hasn't had a ton of, definitely in ring, he's kind of brought it. Like, there's definitely a time you could say, like, if we did this match in, like, 1999, where this would have been, like, torture to watch. So, definitely an improvement. You know, he's definitely kind of reinventing himself in ring. And you can kind of see it even in this. Again, not a spectacular match, but I feel like he carries it pretty well. Like, he keeps things going in this. So, I don't know. So, I guess we'll see. Is Will Nathan Jones be the champion by SummerSlam? I don't know. Gurney will have to find out. <laughs> we'll see. That's good. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of it for that. We'll um, so we have a cut. We'll we'll talk about the other. I mean, Limp Biscuit performance. So a little bit later, it's a little bit later in the show. But since we're on the topic, they do finally perform Crack Addict. So they made us. They teased us a bit. But uh, so you know, it's another pretty good performance. I, I dig it. It's uh, they just. I don't know. Limp Biscuit can just make a good WrestleMania theme song in the early two thousands. But the the big question I have for you, Gruny, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, crack Addict or My Way? Gun to your head. What do, what do you pick? My Way. Gotcha. My Way. Yeah, My Way probably is. But I do. There is something about the uh, in Crack Addict when they do the video package in a, like a like the, the I'm a rock, I'm a roll, and like shows each guy hitting each other. It's. I don't know. They're just good at this. I don't know. Do Maybe this would Limp Bizkit should have turned their career into. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Do you want to know what also makes like both of these songs? It is the Rock and Stone Cold package. Yes, it's true. <laughs> yeah. If you think about There's some it, symmetry. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. yeah, like the, the My Way package for the main event. And then it's like, you know, the Rock just smiling. What do you say, Stone Cold? What do you say? And then the whole like, you know, my way comes, I mean, um, crack addict starts playing and then, you know, they just start like beating each other. It's like right now, let's go. You and me toe to toe. We can rock, we can roll. And they always rocked and rolled at WrestleMania. So, you know, um, I just think that it's like the, the buildup between like rock and Austin made those two songs really, really good. But I just have a thing for like my way, you know? Yeah, no, it definitely is. I think it's cool. The, the one could good thing crack addict is that it is it is a little unique in that it wasn't. I don't think it's like on any of the. I guess we'll get in the Biscuit discography here, but I don't. I think crack addict is like a almost like a B side or something. Like I don't know if it was on any Biscuits like uh, actual albums or something. So that's kind of a unique thing. But uh, 
kudos to them again. Definitely a better performance than uh, the Chris Warren band at WrestleMania 14 <laughs> that JR yeah. apologized for. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh-huh. yeah, I I haven't um I've I didn't um see it anywhere. Like I tried looking it up on like Spotify. It's like it's not uh, mm-hmm. it's all like. It feels like no one's ever heard of it. It's like, but it exists. Like, WrestleMania, right. WWE told us it exists. <laughs> right. So I think in that way, it, like, it weirdly seems like it exists just for this show. Not that I, it necessarily does, but kind of a fun thing. All right, Grody. And then the final, I got, again, I threw you in for a little hodgepodge here. But the final thing that you and I are going to talk about here for your segment is the Miller-like Catfight Girl tie-in. That runs that. So we're just going to cover the whole saga. It's kind of interspersed throughout the show, but uh, it's pretty straightforward. But one thing I did notice in the build, and I mean, I guess it's possible it was cut out on Peacock, but it's weird if they cut out on the Raws, like why it would still be on this show. I mean, I mean, maybe they could didn't have the rights to the advertisements, but they show ads all the time on Raw and SmackDown. But I felt like you did not. There was a ton of talk of Playboy on all the build to this, but they did, I didn't feel like this was hyped on TV. I don't know if you remember from the time, if this was something they hyped on the weekly TV, but doing the pod, I didn't really notice it. I, I do sort of remember like as, uh, you know, I was like 11 years old when the road to WrestleMania 19. So I was watching like mm-hmm. fully in. And <laughs> I remember there was a lot of like, <laughs> excuse me. A lot of, like, you know, clothes getting ripped off and stuff. And it was like, no, Hulk Hogan, Mr. McMahon, I'm the best. I know I'm the best. So, you know, and all these, like, cat fights. And then it was like, you know what? We're just going to settle it this way. You know, the Miller-like cat fight girls are coming to WrestleMania. Right. So so the way this starts, we have the two. I'm trying to remember both their names. They tell us when we get to the quote-unquote match. But I know the the brunette's name is Katana. Which I think at one point Jar questions if that's a real name. And then I forget, do you know the blonde lady's name? I feel bad. I don't remember the blonde. Just Katana stuck out to me because it's such an absurd name. Uh, it uh, is. Uh, it's actually Tanya. Ah, okay. Tanya. Got yeah, it. Tanya and Katana. Ah, <laughs> got it. So they, they first show up backstage and they're arguing over who's going to have the best match tonight. So that's kind of how we start out. And this was the point where I realized that in my mind, I conflated the Catfight Girls with the twins. So during this time, I guess every beer commercial had the same gimmick going where like, uh, so like this was Miller Lite. And so I guess the idea is here that they, because it was like great taste, less filling was what they were fighting about, I believe. And that's what the commercials were. Like, great taste, less yeah, filling, yeah, and then yeah. they start stripping each other. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think in my mind, I thought it was the same thing. Like, I didn't remember that the twins, the Coors Light twins, were two different things. So, in the <laughs> build to this, I may have even, like, said that this was going to be the twins. But, you know, here we are. So, um, but, okay, we, we continue on, and they run into Stacy and Tori backstage a little bit later. They're big fans of each other. And they say that uh, Stacy says that she's a master of marketing and she has a new marketing plan um, for the uh, for the catfight girls. Um, you, you chime in, Gruny, if you have any thoughts on this as we this epic saga that's unfolding. Um, so that happened. So that was weird because I thought maybe they're going to come to the ring, but we don't. We continue on, 
And then uh, we head back to them a little bit later to Stacy and the Catfire Girls. They start arguing over, um, you know, the big storyline with Hogan and Vince, who made WrestleMania what it is today. And the biggest thing that I think everybody remembers from this part of this is that the blonde, I think you said her name was Tanya, right, Grudy? The mm-hmm. way she says Hulk Hogan. Did did you take note of this? The way the bl- the blonde lady says Hulk Hogan. How she says no, Hulk. I know, he, 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 I, I know it's like Minnesota. Right? It's like Minnesota. Yeah, but and she says like um uh like she's like Vince McMahon, and then the blonde girl says Hulk Hogan. I know it's Hulk, and she calls him Hulk. Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it's very odd. It's it's like she had never heard his name before. Um, but then they decide that they're gonna settle this argument in the ring or in bed, and so they argue about that. So could it be possible they do both growing in the ring and in bed? I I think um, for the sake of <laughs> WrestleMania that they should just do it in bed. All right. Well. All right, then finally, after the crack addict performance, we cut to them. They have the bed set up on the stage. It is coach. Uh, poor King does not, um, to chagrin, does not get to host this one. And uh, they go on to have a fight. They start to, uh, it looks like they're about to have a pillow fight on the bed. But then uh, Stacy interrupts and says that, why don't they make it a threesome? And then Tori interrupts with something about how she's in Playboy, so she should go. And then it's what you'd expect. Gurney, everybody's getting stripped down, a lot of spanking, a lot of boobs, a lot of butts. Um, and then we get the comedy spot where coach gets taken out by them and they pants him. And then he, he does the job for whatever reason. They just end up pinning, uh, pinning coach in his tidy whitey. So, I mean, it was just a, this was a, you know, filler, filler deal tie in thing. But it, I mean, it didn't take up a huge amount of space on the show. I mean, it was just like goofy. And I mean, you want to get Stacy and Tori on the show because I mean they're huge. I mean, especially Tori right now is like huge for them. So I kind of get why they did it. But yeah, any thoughts on the uh, on the cap fight, Granny? Well, you know, everyone wants a WrestleMania payday, so this felt like fitting to pitch to Mister Man's like, hey, can we be on the show too? You know, since get the more like cat fight girls, like the more the merrier. And um, I thought Stacy had the best outfit. Like, you know, there was something about it. And I was mm-hmm. just like, wow, Stacy's outfit is like probably the sexiest out of all of them. And, um, you know, like Stacy just spanking Tori Wilson. Um, I thought it was a little goofy that they pants the coach. I was like, what are they doing? You know, <laughs> at the time, like, even like watching it, like, at 11 years old, like, why are they pulling his pants down? What is this? Right. right. And King X, like, so disgusted. Like, he's, uh, he's like, we've all been punished. We had to see uh, Coach with his, in his underwear. Like, hey, yeah. King. It's like, yeah, you wouldn't be enjoying that, King? Come on, man. If you got your pants pulled down by women, you'd be enjoying it. I'm surprised they didn't do, like, a blatant, like, Miller Lite tie-in where they're, like, spread Miller Lite all over each other, but <laughs> yeah, who yeah. knows? But yeah, was what it was. But that is our um, and really kind of the only goofy segment on this show, whole show. Honestly, I think as we go through oh, it, like right, it was like bathroom, uh, like you know, it's like oh yeah, we can go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I don't think it puts any. Uh, I don't think it puts any damper on this possible being the greatest WrestleMania in some folks' eyes. So uh, it. it, it, it <laughs> 
it did what it was supposed to do. And we and always it, get the girl the, saying Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And then it follows up with Triple H and Booker T, but that's for another time. Right. Um, so with that, thanks for coming on, Grooney, covering this little. I get kind of threw a few random ones at you, but you're always a good sport about it. So thanks for coming on. I yeah, could have you for a small portion of WrestleMania 19 here, and uh, uh, I will keep on rolling on with this. Uh, well, maybe I shouldn't use that transition again. Maybe we'll say, um, I don't know. We'll keep the show going. You know, Tanya, Stacy's right. Mr. McMahon did create WrestleMania. No, Hulk Hogan did. No, Mr. McMahon. Hulk Hogan. Mr. McMahon. Hulk Hogan. You know, this is WrestleMania. Let's settle this cat fight in the ring. Well, let's settle this in bed. What? In the ring. In bed. In the ring. In bed. All right, as we continue here at Safeco, let me bring in my next guest for this spectacular, and that is going to be uh, a man who is at Safeco for this night. So we'll talk about that first because the match, I mean, the match we're about to watch, I thought was pretty good for what it was, just not maybe the biggest on the marquee. But let me bring in Michael Cook. Michael, I want you to tell us about your experience going because you went to the show live, correct? Correct. It was, uh, it was actually my first uh, wrestling show. Um, I had been to like a high school one, which actually had Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, but this was my first one going live. Matter of fact, it was my first time on an airplane going out wow. west. So, I mean, it was it was fun and exciting when my friend, you know, said, "Hey, I got tickets. Do you want to go?" And I'm like, "Definitely." Um, I mean, it it definitely. It, I wouldn't say it was like a spectacle like it is now. I mean, it was still huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, for that time, I mean, it was great. It was, it was only the second WrestleMania after 9-11, you know, so I would say, you know, you had 18, which was good. But to me, 19 has a place in my heart. And, mm-hmm. and the crowd was crazy. Um, now, for people that are watching, when they watch it on TV, because actually it was – probably 18 years before I actually watched it mm-hmm. on the network. Um, you know, so I, you know, seeing it different from that view, but you look at the front row and it doesn't even look like the crowd is going and you hear, you know, everyone going crazy. And so a lot of people I know have thought that the crowd was sweetened. It definitely was mm-hmm. not because where we were, we were in the outfield mm-hmm. and people were going crazy. I mean, for every little thing, um, from the opening match all the way to the end. I mean, by the end of it, I know everyone in our area was horse. Right. Uh, no, there's definitely a cool energy to it. So just to back up a little bit, it is interesting. You as a, a, a like an East Coast guy, right? Like that mm-hmm. the first that your first wrestling deal would be on the other side of the country. How did that? How did that come about? Well. I had a friend that lived over here and he moved over with his uh, fiance to Seattle Um, Mm -hmm. and they ended up getting married and everything. And then he just called me over the blue, you know, this was before texting. (laughs) (laughs) He just called, he called me and said, Hey, I got tickets. You want to go? 
and you know sure <laughs> i mean right. and we made the decision that night too to uh, go to raw the next night so um you know i definitely got to experience that it, it's the raw crowd wasn't like it was you know in future years the after wrestlemania crowd but it was mm-hmm. still i mean obviously for what happens it was still great Right, and this is them just starting to get into the stadium thing, and they're going to kind of actually back off of it after this one for a few years before they start really getting into the into the rhythm that we know now, where every year is a, a stadium show. So it is cool that you, another thing I always found interesting is this this one being in a baseball stadium, which is not, I mean, I'm sure they probably had one offs or something, but like a major show in a baseball stadium, which is something they do a bit more now. But I think the look of it is is really awesome. Like with the, the way the light comes in everything and just with you have any outdoor venue like this, the way it slowly goes tonight. So, uh, did it work? Uh, was it like today where you had, uh, people complaining about pillars or some shit? Oh no. I mean, from where I was sitting, I mean, we had a, we had a good shot of the ring. I mean, obviously people still looked very small. I mean, you can tell who was who and stuff. So it wasn't like if you're sitting, I mean, I'm sure the people that went to Cowboy stadium, you know, in, row zz you know Mm -hmm. they're ants but it was still great i mean they you could still see everything on the screen now where i was sitting we were sitting um up so we can see everyone coming out of the entrance like perfectly uh and you can there's one part of the entrance way you couldn't see and watching it and i watched it again today just uh you know nostalgia you know Mm -hmm. it's almost been 20 years I forgot, like when when where we were sitting, you couldn't really tell how long the rampway was. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you saw people come down, and then you lose them a little bit. Like for example, you know when Shawn Michaels when you know does all the shooting of the confetti guns, we didn't see half of that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I mean, you could see you saw everyone coming out. I mean, and the stadium was great. I mean, they they left the. They were originally going to close the dome because it was going to it was it was a threat of rain. Um, mm-hmm. But then then it just it didn't really clear up. It was still cloudy, but no rain. So they reopened the dome. I would say. Well, Eastern time, probably about an hour, well, about six o'clock, so about an hour before the show, um, they re they started reopening the dome and they didn't shut it, I think, until about halfway through the show. Um, which was good because they had the fireworks, you know, for the Undertaker. And so that was going up and they were, I don't, you can't really notice on the TV, but they started to shut it a little bit. Um, but then they completely shut it after a couple more matches. But it still was, you know, definitely a, a different vibe. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and if you notice, like, you know, watching later on, you know, the crowd seems to get louder. I mean, yeah, the matches get better, but the crowd gets a lot louder. That's because with the dome being shot, hmm. you know, you know, the, the right. sound will stay in more. Yeah. It, it's all, it's a really cool look. Cause it's, they're kind of getting into the mode at this point where like, especially if you do what I do is just watch the TV and pay-per-views where the shows look very similar. Cause they're all in, you know, similar arenas and the setups, even down to like the entrance ramps on these are like, unless they do like MSG are pretty much the same. Like if you wouldn't be told, it's hard to really tell what arena you're in. So when you get to this and it's just a completely different look to everything, it really makes it feel special. Uh, yeah. But mm-hmm. 
Oh, go ahead. I, I definitely think that ramp that was probably one of the longest ramp because you mm-hmm. had to go down one way and then cut across. I think it's because of the baseball stadium. I mean, similar to um, this year's WrestleMania. Oh, well, mm-hmm. SummerSlam, sorry. Similar to SummerSlam, you know, where they had to come down and then they kind of, you know, come down one way and have to turn. Um, right. And they use you know. like the dugout usually. Like I know I went to um, I went to the the Rumble that was um, uh, right before COVID uh, at uh, Minute Maid in, uh, in Houston. And it was similar, like where they had kind of like the the winding, uh, the winding entrance. Way. But it, it's cool. It's just it's something different. Right. Which is always mm-hmm. good. Right. Yeah. Um, last thing I'll ask you before we actually get into covering this match is so being there live, what what did you what was like your moment of the night that was like that you remember the most from seeing it live? Uh, um it, it's tough. I mean mm-hmm. definitely you know, you had all you had all great moments and despite the narrative Back then, Limp Biscuit was over as fudge. I mean, they were, (laughs) you know, but I mean, you had, I mean, that was the only time in all the wrestling shows I've been, I saw Undertaker. Unfortunately, it wasn't the Undertaker that I liked, but it was still awesome watching him down the ramp. I mean, obviously Jericho Michaels. um, But the thing to me, why I was there live was definitely, um, the botched uh, shooting star press. Uh-huh. I mean, even from right field, way up in the stands, we thought, oh my God, something terribly went wrong. Um, and after all, you watch all those specials and stuff, you you know, and right. interviews and stuff that he had no idea where he was. Um, looking back, you know, 20 years later, you know, up until last year, I was like, shit, I got to see Stone Cold's last match and didn't even know it you know right it really is like a packed show like like you're talking about the brock thing like i mean it's not quite on the level of like the foley going off the cage but i mean it's got to be in the top i don't know 10 most replayed you know things that they show on all these retrospectives and just you know just like in video packages and shit like brock doing the shooting star press it's up there in their most replayed spots ever yeah i mean if you think about it wrestlemania 19 now, you always have the debate between 17 and 19. The reason I go with 19, I mean, unfortunately, yeah, it's a little biased because I was there. But you potentially have five matches that are four stars or more. Mm-hmm. Look at how many Hall of Famers are in there. Shit, you have, you have one person's last, you know, you know, that could have been his last match. Well, it was up until, you know, Stone Cold's match. I mean, Rock finally beating him. But the one thing that, even though this is great, it never, it didn't have that one iconic moment. I mean, it had different, a ton of different moments. I mean, I'm talking like, you know, Brian at 30, you know, you know, the crowd going crazy. But this had so many great moments. I think it just trumps it. I mean, I mean, come on. It has one of the best camera shots in WWE history. Right. With, with Vince coming up, you know. I mean, they don't show that that often because of, you know, the blood. But, I mean, that was just – it. I didn't get to see that live. I mean, because from where we were, we couldn't see that. Like, we couldn't mm-hmm. tell how iconic it was um, until I saw replays because I never – and then that's one match that I've watched in its entirety, you know, since then. But, I mean, we – you know, you couldn't tell that it was Piper 
until you know you saw it on the big screen and stuff but you know that was you know a great moment but I, i'm still gonna go that shooting star press was just scary i mean I, right. I do say there is one thing that i totally disagreed with with mania 19 the only and, and it's mania 19 in the night after is the promotion of goldberg it would have been so much better if he just came out mm-hmm. because you know in between they they when they were doing um the commercials in between not the commercials but you know vignettes and stuff in between mm-hmm. in the stadium they kept promoting goldberg so the whole crowd was chanting goldberg goldberg mm. so when the vignettes the the stuff would come off the screen you know you wouldn't hear you wouldn't hear anything until after everyone stopped chanting goldberg but i mean that's that's neither here nor there and i and i think that mysterious should have won but that's just me I think the crowd would have went crazy. But other than that, I mean, I mean, the match we're going to talk about tonight, to me, was the worst match in the card, and it wasn't that bad. Right. So with that, we'll get into it. But thanks for sharing. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you definitely picked a winner for, for your first uh, first uh, wrestling show, first oh, WWE yeah. show, for for sure. Uh, to arguably the greatest WrestleMania I mean, of all look, time. We'll, mm-hmm. Look, and then then my first RAW, you have a major debut. <laughs> I mean, it right. couldn't get much better. Right. So we'll get into the match. So we are going to talk, uh, you and I are going to talk the uh, triple threat women's match, Trish versus Victoria versus Jazz. Um, the first thing that stands out is that Trish comes out and her gear is just um, awesome. Like she has like a um, a nice shiny silver kind of, I don't know what you'd call it. Like, I guess like a women's singlet kind of thing, like uh, sort of uh, unitard looking deal, but she gets a, like a confetti cannon during her entrance on the side ramps. It's a cool little touch, but she looks like, uh, she looks like um, she is dressed for a major show. So that's awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were mm-hmm. probably, I mean, 10 rows from that, where the, mm-hmm. that end of the ramp. So that was cool. Yeah. So she gets a cool entrance. Uh, Victoria comes down with Stevie and a nice start to this as uh, it's on brand that Jazz just starts clubbing all of them before the bell even rings. So um, she uh, tosses out Victoria. Trish gets put in a uh, camel clutch, modified camel clutch, as JR calls it. Uh, Trish fires back her with some strikes. Victoria comes in, trades spots with Jazz, starts hammering Trish. That kind of gets into the how they kind of structure this match, especially in the early going. It's kind of the two heels uh, almost like tagging out in a way. It's, it's typical of these triple threats to kind of have one person sort of taking a um, taking a nap while the other two go. But, that's, I mean, that's just the way these matches are. But Jazz comes in. Uh, Victoria comes in, I should say, hammers Trish. They uh, then start working together. They had a double-team backbreaker on Trish. And uh, all their stuff is looking pretty good, I have to say. And uh, Victoria slaps Trish around. She's screaming at her, doing, like, the whole psychotic Victoria stuff. You get lots of cringy King comments uh, on commentary about wanting the match to become a love triangle, despite that they're doing some pretty good stuff in the ring. Uh, Jazz and Victoria can't decide who gets to continue being on Trish. And this is kind of where the match starts to turn a little bit and kind of pivots where um, there's a little dissension be- between Jazz and Victoria. And so Trish is able to come back, but they end up grabbing her again. Uh, they go for another double team, but Jazz actually hits a spin kick on Victoria, takes her out. Uh, Trish tries to steal it and get a pin off of that, but um, but Victoria's able to kick out. Uh, Trish has the leg scissors, the the classic Trish uh, leg scissors of Victoria at the corner. Trish starts clubbing away at her. Jazz comes back in, grabs a Boston Crab, moves into an STF, which is real good. I mean, Jazz's tra- um, uh, 
submission moves are like not bad. She kind of works in uh, quite a few things in our repertoire, which are pretty fun. But uh, Stevie sneaks in here and stops the submission because uh, this is so obviously they've been working together, but they cannot, um, you know, obviously he needs he can't let Trish tap to jazz or else uh, Victoria is going to lose. So he breaks it up. Uh, we get a roll-up sequence here between Victoria and uh, Jazz, and King nearly has heart attack a few years early because Victoria's butt crack <laughs> exposed for a moment. Victoria ends up leveling Jazz with a sidekick, uh, but goes for the moonsault and misses that. Stevie, again, tries to interfere, but he's a goof, and he uh, does the old Kurt ricochet uh, chair shot off the ropes and hits himself and gets a satisfaction, so crowd pops for that. It looks like Trish maybe has made a fatal mistake here, though, by worrying about Stevie, and it looks like she's be put in the widow's peak, but she survives that. And uh, a bit of a, I thought, out-of-nowhere finish. It was okay, but um, I would have rather kicked Victoria in the head but she hits her with a nice stiff kick, but it's in the in the midsection, and it just kind of pins her off of that, which seemed like a little odd move for a finish here, but it was still cool for that Trish picked up the win. Um, I thought they had some good action here. Uh, I thought they told a good story of, like, the heels teaming up on Trish, but she kind of survived long enough uh, to let them kind of go after each other and find her opportunity and take it. Just good classic, like, scrappy uh, face stuff here, overcoming the odds. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought the the time probably hurt them a bit because they were hindered because I think when you do these triple threats where you have, you know, one person in, one person out, to build the drama, I think you need a little bit of time, and they didn't really get a ton here. I mean, they got like seven or eight minutes, but I think it could have been pushed a little further if they had more time to build up the drama with the near falls. But good pop for Trish. I thought she's the right person to go over on a big show like this. You know, obviously this could be – there's things that could be better about this, but – uh, as typical in, in these situations of the era, I thought the women went out there and put on a pretty a pretty good show. Get, you know, considering what their the time they were given and everything. So I ended up going two and three quarter on it. Um, to your point, um, I, like I, I'm not sure yet if I would say I have to get through the, all of these to to really say what what would be my um my lowest one in the match. But if this is your your weakest match on the card, I think that's that's pretty damn good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I gave it two and a half. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of uh, Jazz, but I will say, however, the one thing I do remember from that match, uh, how loud the chops were that she gave. I mean, I mean they echoed. <laughs> I mean, even in a stadium like that. Um, I mean, she was hard hitting. I mean, it did look like a few spots, a little botch. But, how, I mean, honestly, how many triple threat women's matches were there at this point? I mean, I mean, because even if you if you listen to the commentary, Jr. keeps like, you know, the rules here, the rules here, the rules of this triple threat, you know, and he's kind of hammering it down almost like, you know, we don't know what a triple threat is. But at the same time, I mean, you know, this is kind of a I mean, it's not 100 percent new for the women, but it's not like they've had a ton at this point in the company um, of the triple threat. So they might be a little awkward you know, on, on getting this, the spots. I mean, it still wasn't a horrible match. I mean, the crowd loved it. Um, that Trish, that Trish won, um, you know, and you, and you gotta have the little heel, you know, the foil there that, you know, with, with, uh, Steven Richards and stuff. Um, and I mean, I just didn't think at that point they wanted to beat jazz yet. I mean, she does on raw. she, you know, Trish does beat her a couple weeks later, but um, I think at that point, you know, they're still keeping her strong. I mean, she had just come back, I think, what, ACL? Well, didn't she, was she out for an ACL injury? Yep. 
Yep, because she, that, um, when, I, when I first started doing the pod, when I was covering like early 02, she went out pretty, like I want to say in the spring. So yeah, she's just returning. This is kind of like her first, I think this is her first pay-per-view match back. So, so I mean, could it be that, um, you know, because that Vince wasn't convinced that she can have a good WrestleMania match? I mean, come on, come on, kind of similar like to the match before, mm-hmm. you know, I mean. With, right. It, with it definitely Jones. seems like, yeah, it kind of seems like them, the triple threat is just like, I think they're still in this mindset in this frame of like trying to get as many people as you can on the show. And so like they want to get these three women in there, but yeah, they could be transitioning two into because there is kind of unfinished business with Trish and jazz because that's, mm-hmm. they had a pretty good feud cooking before the injury. Yeah. And I, I, you know, maybe they just didn't have confidence at her and her and Trish alone. Um, I mean, because even though Trish is champion, she's still kind of, you know, she's not necessarily the veteran of the group, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so maybe Victoria was in there just to add some stability, you know, just uh, almost like a ring general. Right. And I think the only other way you could go with this is, you know, Trish and Victoria like do a big blow up, but they've kind of run into the ground too much where I don't know if that mm-hmm. would really hit very good at this point because they've just done that match so many times over the past six months so yeah this is a case where i, I mean it's like the triple threat thing i think was, was fine for the situation i thought for what they wanted to do like give trish the title back get a good face pop at mania i thought her like kind of overcoming the odds against these two very similar to the previous match so that's a good point uh, mike yeah i mean because i mean trish it you really thought trish was going to win it at, at the pay-per-view before um and i'm wondering if they pulled they decided not to you know because you knew that she eventually she was going to face jazz but that's what i'm thinking you know because the way everything was leading up to the last pay-per-view that okay this is trish she's going to win she's going to be going into mania but i'm wondering if they didn't just because of that right but um but yeah i thought it was uh good stuff you know certainly a better in-ring display than the uh middle like cat fight girls well, yeah, we, we say that now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, um, well, thanks for coming on, Mike. It was awesome to hear about the live experience. Uh, very uh, envious of you that you got to go to the show live. Uh, I've been to a few of them, but this is uh, this is one that's near and dear to me. So thanks for coming on to talk about it and talking about this women's match. And uh, uh, No problem. Yeah, and we will continue to roll on with this uh, WrestleMania 19 podcast. Right, let's carry on. I have um, next up. I have Scott Schiffler with me. What's up, Scott? Hey, Jake. I'm glad to be here on this special episode. Yep, like glad to have you on the card. Right, glad you can yes. get a payday. Yes, that's all I want. Uh, it's just the payday. 
Right. So um, you are here to talk about the tag triple threat. But before this, since it's right before um, the match, we are going to talk about this little promo that The Rock cut. Says, uh, I wanted you to have a chance to get a little rock in your life, a little Hollywood rock. Uh, rock. So we have cutting him cutting a promo with his old pal, Coach, um, who's definitely up there. I guess like Kevin Kelly and Coach are like his two, <laughs> his two uh, biggest whipping boys. Um, yes, yes, they are. And uh, I just love how, you know, it just seems like he has chemistry with everyone and he mm-hmm. can get anything out of everyone. Right. So he says um, tonight he's not here to electrify the fans. Since he's returned, they booed everything. He sang songs. He's done all of these different things and they've just booed him no matter what. And that has hurt him. His sole purpose tonight is to fulfill his destiny and to beat Stone Cold Steve Austin finally at WrestleMania. And if there's one thing that he's learned in Hollywood is that act one and act two don't matter. It's all about how you finish. It's about act three. And he guarantees a win. So uh, just great stuff from Rock. Like, I thought he leaned a little bit more into like a classic uh, Rock promo. He didn't quite get into as much of the goofiness of the Hollywood rock stuff, but he still is playing up the heel character. But like he mixed it too well. I felt like he he made it a bit more serious, knowing that this is like the night, you know, this is WrestleMania, the night of. He's hyping this big match. He's maybe a little more focused than he's been on the Raw. So I thought that was a good little tweak of it. He's still got the heel energy, but not quite as jokey as he normally is. And I thought like the, the little act one, act two, act three metaphor thing was pretty good. Um, just hits all his beats really well. Just get you hyped for the match. Just classic, um, like I say every time. I mean, he's just fucking good. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so jealous I didn't get a chance to talk about Hollywood Rock with you, so I'm, I'm glad I'm finally able to do it this time. Mm-hmm. It just, like, this is such a fun character, and you, the way he sells it, like, he has a line here. He says, the people have hurt him, so he could care less about the people. And, you know, there's truth to that. Think about, like, the last time we saw him at WrestleMania, they booed him with Hogan, then they booed him with the mm-hmm. stuff with Lesnar. And, it, you know, he says it's his destiny to beat Stone Cold Steve Austin. It really puts, like... a like a finality on this feud like and he even says it's the best feud of all time which if you're going by a box office you know you, you kind of have to have to you know agree with him and i agree it's mm-hmm. a hell of a feud it's the feud of our childhoods me and you are around the same age like it's wcw and mm-hmm. wo um rock austin you know sting hogan all, all that stuff um but it's it, it was a hell of a promo and it, i was really hoping like that match was coming up next but uh we, we got we got we still got a good one but i was like damn i want that if he would have said that on Raw, Jake, that would have sold some more, uh, some more buys. Mm-hmm. And this was when that was important. Yeah, just yeah, just a money hype promo, so good. And you did a good job. Like, uh, it's a good point. Like explaining like the full arc of his character. Like it really does make sense why he would turn heel, which kind of adds to the whole character. But yeah, it's fantastic. But um, with that, we'll get to the match that we are here to discuss, and that is going to be the Triple Threat SmackDown Tag Team Title Match. With, uh, we have T-Mango, our champions, um, the reconstructed neck partners of uh, Rhino and Chris Benoit, and then, of course, Los Guerrero. So I thought this was um, a fitting three. Like, if you're going to have, you know, a showcase of the tag of the SmackDown tag team titles, this is it. Especially T-Mango and the Guerreros. Like, Rhino and Benoit are still kind of, I mean, they've been kicking ass since they showed up, but they still haven't quite established themselves. Um but definitely Team Angle and the Guerreros have been like the, the cornerstone of the SmackDown tag division in the past like six months or so since Eddie kind of pivoted more towards the tag stuff. Um, 
like essentially since the SmackDown six, that kind of era in the fall, once they kind of moved away from that, these have been the teams that have been carrying it. Um, So this is going to be like a tag style, like not tornado tag. So it kind of has that, um, a little that can get a little weird where you can usually, I mean, you're going to have one team where the entire team is not in the ring, which can be interesting and also kind of weird. But, um, we start with the Guerreros. They're working over Benoit with the quick tags. Uh, Taz, um, as we mentioned already, uh, as throughout this show, um, Logan and I mentioned the opener, but Taz just completely on his bullshit on this entire show. Like he says, this Benoit chop, uh, Benoit lays in chop. He goes, that'll swell up your Ariola. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, Cole, I laughed, Cole doesn't even sell him. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that, Jake. I was like, I had to rewind it. I was like, did he just say what I thought he said? And sure enough, he said it. And Cole was just like this, this moron. I've had enough of him. Right. Like Cole's so focused and Taz just throw out these insane lines. Um, uh, Rhino comes in doing Rhino shit, starts pummeling everyone. Um, lightning pace from all these guys, just multiple momentum swings. Like just within the first few minutes, I feel like each team kind of got a shine sequence here, like kind of um, a control uh, sequence. Lots of fun matchups throughout this. Like I, I thought the Eddie Rhino, when Eddie and Rhino were in there for a minute or so, I thought that was really fun. Maybe want to see them um, in a singles match kind of soon. Uh, nice uh, Eddie and Benoit do like a. Um, like a superplex off the top rope, but it has like a snap to it, almost like a snap suplex off the top. That was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, we uh, Benoit hits a flapjack to the cross face. Chavo comes in hot, breaks that up, but he ends up getting to rolling Germans. I thought uh, this whole match had a very like Survivor seal, Series feel uh, in like a good way. Like those old like 80s Survivor Series tags, like just everybody coming in, hitting their spots, getting in, moving quickly, uh, just quick tags, lots of sick moves with these guys. And then um, now the the finish I thought was a bit abrupt. So Chavo's in there. He ends up getting gored, but Team Angle kind of clear house, and they um, end up stealing the win off of that. So uh, a little bit of a cheap win. They are heels. I would have maybe like Team Angle to go over a little bit stronger instead of having to steal it, but I guess it's kind of the vibe of a triple threat match. And just, um, you know, and I, I know you probably feel the same way. I just felt like this match was a bit short for what it is. Um like I, I went three and a quarter on it because I think even with the like eight to ten minutes they got, I thought they made the most of it with some awesome action. But it it does come you can come off a little disappointed just knowing the potential of this. Like if they wanted to, this could have been like a twenty minute like epic classic tag match if they wanted to. Uh, yeah, I, I went a little bit lower. I went two and three quarters, and I really, I really agree. Like this, this needed five or ten more minutes because, like you said, it was it was such a frenetic pace. But that's because you can tell they might have had time cut, so they were just like trying to get all their shit in, and it worked to great extent. Like I didn't think about that. Your Survivor Series comparison was awesome because it it was given shine to all the wrestlers even there. I mean, hell, um, Chavo took out four of the five wrestlers at one point. Chavo. Like, mm-hmm. so they were like being nice with it. And I did like when Benoit hit the Roland Germans, uh, Cole said, there's no hockey team in Seattle, but they know what a hat trick, know what hat tricks are. If you only knew Cole, if you only knew, cause Seattle now has the <laughs> Kraken. Um, one thing, one thing I did like, it was, um, team angle kept saving the match. Like they weren't really on offense that much, but they were like the, like mm-hmm. you said, the smarmy heels that got the win, but it, it, it was a fun match. I want to see more of this. And this makes me feel like, how they went wrong about Rhino. Like I know he, then he ends up leaving for TNA in a couple of years, but mm-hmm. 
he was great. Like in 2001 in the invasion, he was great and he got hurt and he was great here. And he could have been like, I'm not saying he could have been a main eventer, but he could have been like an upper mid, upper mid Carter because the fans were going crazy when he hit the gore. And that's like, it seems to be forgotten about in WWF, how much they dropped the ball with him, in my opinion. Yeah, it's true. It's I think he, yeah, he definitely got derailed by the injury because like his was really brutal. Like even like he was out like 18 months. So, I mean, it's like an incredible amount of time, but yeah, he definitely seems like somebody they could, um, I guess we'll see how this run plays out. Cause I honestly don't remember him in this era that much. Like, I don't remember a whole lot about this Rhino Benoit thing. I don't know how long it goes on, but, um, yeah, it was weird too, because this, as I've been covering, it's gotten a lot of build on TV, this whole triple threat thing. Like even on the go home, like there were like multiple matches just to build this, like, so to see it only get like, and I understand it's a like loaded show, but it was just odd to me. It felt very much like a, one of these WrestleMania, like get all the guys on the show match. And it was fun action, but like they really didn't have a chance to integrate much of like a, to do much storytelling in the match, right? Like you mentioned, they're just trying to all get in there and get as much into this short amount of time as they can. Um, but I do think it's a good way to kind of cap off this you know, since they debuted this like all time rookie year from team angle since the, I mean, it hasn't even been a year. It's been like six months, but or not even that honestly, but like just a good kind of capper for them. But I would like to see them as we move forward, maybe start to look a little bit more like less chicken shitty and more like a little more dominant, similar to Kurt. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that comes, I can't remember. I do remember, I don't want to like spoil it, for you know our listeners for your listeners but um there's a fun when angle returns there's a fun promo that he has with them that like signifies like their break because i don't think they're too much longer for this world to mm-hmm. be honest that's a bummer it's yeah a bummer. they're so good i mean they do obviously do some things especially like shelton does things as a singles wrestler but um mm-hmm. or i have my ears confused it, it it's all yeah We'll see. It's going to be a trend going in because this is really like the cutoff for me. Of like, like I remember a few things from '03, like broad stroke kind of things. But like this is as we move forward in the pod is going to be where things start to get like a lot of this is going to be new to me. Like maybe I'll remember it once I see it again. But like if you were to tell me what happens in the next few months, like I don't think I remember a whole lot, honestly. So. Yeah, I, I definitely do not either. So I can't wait to listen to one. And thank you for right. having me. Of course. Jim. Yeah, of course. But uh, yeah, again, it could have been could have been like better. But as far as like you could do a lot worse than just throwing these guys out there and get them 10 minutes and just do a bunch of fucking sick moves. So not bad. Um, but yes, of course. Thanks, Scott. And uh, we will um, keep the train rolling. The A train rolling. The uh, no, we'll go into. Uh, choo, choo. We'll actually be going into, um, uh, we'll see. Nobody was more excited to see HBK return to the ring than me. John Michaels is the world's champion. Do you believe in miracles? And a lot has happened between the two of us since you kicked me in the face. I have attacked you. And a low blow by Jericho. You've attacked me. John Michaels has to Jericho. Come to this ring and speak to me face to face. Ask and you shall receive.
I wanted to be just like you, Sean. Pretty soon people were saying that I was gonna be the next Sean Michaels. I grew out of wanting to be the next Sean Michaels. I concentrated on becoming the first Chris Jericho. You tried to be the hero one too many times, Michaels. Look how awesome sweet him music. I'll see you at WrestleMania. So it's on. HBK, Chris Jericho at WrestleMania. Chris Jericho, a man, takes responsibility for his actions. I am better than you, Sean. A man doesn't hide underneath the ring and jump another man from the heart. I'm more charismatic than you, Sean. A man looks the other man in the eyes. I want to end your career at WrestleMania. Chris Jericho, get ready, because I'm coming to fight. All right, so that brings us to um, our first, I would say, heavy hitter of the night on this uh, fantastic pay-per-view. And uh, that is going to be HBK versus Chris Jericho. And so I brought in um, one of my great pals, uh, the master of this shit take, um, the captain of uh, the Seven Months of Danger pod, and that is Sean Kidd. What's up, Sean? Hey, good evening, Jake. Thanks for having me tonight. Yeah, you got a killer match. Uh you, you picked quite a good one here as you get HBK versus Jericho. Um, the build, I think, has been pretty, I think it was a little disjointed at first, but I think eventually, especially in the last um, in the last week on Raw, in the go-home, I think they really got to um, the meat of what the feud's about. You had the killer promo with Jericho going, into, uh, going deep into uh, all of his kind of idolizing of Sean when he was coming up in wrestling. Um, you get the videos of him doing the exact moves that Sean used to do all that good stuff but uh um just uh any thoughts on the feud sean before we start getting into the match you know it's it's interesting it this feud has been going on since pre-rumble and you know i don't think jericho was booked real well coming out of the fact that you know he was the first undisputed champion right and then he was kind of just like i don't know he just seemed like he was just not really in a good spot and then coming into this feud with michaels i felt like they were just kind of tread water and then to your point this last go-home promo that they did was amazing and was really what the feud was all about, about the comparisons that everyone had about Jericho to being like Michaels. And then it just brought the whole feud home. So it really, really like sh- like shined a light on this was a big-time match with a big-time feel of maybe new generation of Shawn Michaels versus Michaels himself. And it just, it just made the whole match for me. This was for me um, going into this pay-per-view. This was the match that I truly wanted to see in that last promo they did really brought it all home for me. And that's the promo I'd been waiting for the whole time the feud had been going on. So I'm glad they finally did it. So so interesting. Of all the, the big matches on this, so this is the one you were most hyped for at the time? It was because I was a big Shawn Michaels guy. Um I was a big I was a big huge Jericho fan. And listen, I lo- listen I love, you know, obviously you'll get to it, but I love Lesnar. I love Angle. Um, you know, Rock and Austin, I mean, we could talk about how I feel about that. Don't nobody go back and listen to the media pods if you ever listen to those. But th- this is just like for me the one. It's like it really tells a story of here is here's the new here's Chris Jericho who people see as the future versus people that see Shawn Michaels as the past and Shawn Michaels is just coming back. It just seems like the perfect time to. I don't know. For me, this is the perfect match to put on the show, and I, I can't really explain it. But for me, this mm-hmm. is the one I really wanted to see. It is a big moment it, because, like, for the Shawn Michaels return thing, 
it's his first big match on a big stage with somebody other than Triple H. So you have that. Um, it's his first match back at WrestleMania, and they've done a lot to build this whole idea that he's the, you know, the showstopper. He always steals. Yeah, so you have that going for it. So to me, this is really solidifying his his return, right? Because, you know, he comes back, he does Triple H, of course, him and Triple H are buddies. But this is showing that he's going to, like, feud with other people and that, you know, it kind of just gets the your gears turning on all different ways they can go with him now that he's back. So Yeah, yeah right. Um, it's like, what did he, what, like, what's mm-hmm. he really done since Triple H? Okay, he had the one-off with, what, Van Dam. He did a tag team match, right? Um and it's just kind of like, hey, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put trust in the hands of somebody else coming off of this career-ending injury, and the first one he really truly does it with is Jericho. So that's even a big deal right there. So, right, like the first dream match of the Sean return, you could say. Correct. That's um, a great point. Get, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good video package. Um, just recapping the whole feud. Um, they always do a great job with these. But I, yeah, you can go back in the. Uh, and listen to the last few episodes to catch up that uh, good table setting by Jr. This is like something he's really awesome at just kind of talking about. He's always good on these pay-per-views when there's like a long entrance here, like just kind of setting everything up, like talking about Jericho's dad playing hockey. But uh, he says that Jericho's dad played hockey, but uh, Jericho loved wrestling. And when he was coming up, he idolized Sean and that's who he wanted to be like. So just even like putting this again, always is that really true? Who knows? But just a good like dramatic thing of like even his own father was an athlete, but he wanted to be more like Shawn Michaels, which is cool. Uh, we get the um, the uh, entrance here with the uh, the famous little. They look like the, uh, I don't know if you're from. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I don't know if you ever had like, I think it was on Super Nintendo. What was that? Like the Super Scope on Nintendo? Yes. But yes. it was, uh, yeah, it looked like those filled with confetti, but I think he has about a 50% hit rate on these. Like every other one works to the point where he's kind of like making little Sean uh, hamming up faces because half of them are duds. So, uh, yep, that it's going. Sean, Sean does a great sell job on uh, the, the shit fire on the gun. So. <laughs> Right. In, in a good contrast to him doing the goofy stuff with the uh, the confetti and Jericho is just 100 percent serious, like he's got something to prove. So, yeah. And uh, all right. And then we get it going. So uh, Jericho kind of goes for some basic math. Sean is not impressed. He easily escapes all of that. Like you tell Jericho is trying to sh- prove that he's a better wrestler. They kind of go back and forth for a second. Some nice, smooth reversals from these two. Uh and then at this point, they kind of ditch the wrestling and just start hitting each other. So you can tell the business is picking up. Jericho kind of shows that he can hang with Sean, like even though like Sean is obviously a veteran, but Jericho, I mean, he's been around for a while too. Like he reverses the crossbody to the pin, the uh, the old Ricky Steamboat move. Um, mm-hmm. lot, two guys you could tell here, um, your favorite guy, Ricky Steamboat. I felt like, especially this match, seeing them both in this match together, I could see the Ricky Steamboat in both of these guys throughout this match. Um you take that as you will, Sean. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not about Ricky Steve, but yes, you could definitely see that they definitely the cross bodies, things like that. Definitely saw a lot of that in this for sure. Mm-hmm. So Jericho takes control uh, until he goes for his um, patented bulldog. Sean reverses that and throws Jericho to the corner. Uh, Sean actually gets a figure four here, so showing his uh, submission chops. Sean wins the. Uh, they have a little skin the cat contest here, and um, Sean ends up winning. Hits a plancha to the outside. Jericho actually gets the walls on the outside um, off HBK going for a dropkick. Just tons of reversals in this, like mm-hmm. good kind of um, counters to each other. Jericho ends up taking over, and this is where you get into more of like a heat sequence. Um, I like that the the moment that Jericho in this match, I thought it was a good little touch that, like the moment he stops trying to like out-wrestle Sean and kind of, 
I guess like work Sean Saudi just goes into straight like trying to kick his ass mode is when he kind of gets the advantage. I thought that was good. Like tries to be more aggressive, not trying to out wrestle Sean. And then of course the uh the psychology of this time is that you go after Shawn Michaels back. So he goes with the backbreakers. Um Sean, Sean uh, kind of gets out of a sleeper, but Jericho is nonstop on him, stops to come back. He hits uh I thought they did a good job through this, and we could talk about it as we get kind of wrap up the match, but I thought Jericho did a good job of like working in like doing Sean stuff to him without it being like overbearing on the match where that's all he's doing. But just every now and then he throws in a Sean move. Like he does the Sean flying clothesline here. So I thought it was a good little touch without going overboard, but they both go down on that. Jericho kips up. He starts flexing to the crowd. And of course, Sean follows her, um, right after him in a fun spot, pop the crowd. Sean starts his comeback. He picks it up, hits the Sean moonsault. Uh, Jericho twists him into the walls. Sean's able to power out of that. Jericho reverses Arana back into the walls, hits a nice, uh, I thought it was a sick underhook backbreaker by Jericho. Mm-hmm. Um, nice little unique move to bust out. Um, I love the pace of this as we're kind of getting towards the end. Like the timing of all just spot on. Like it's um, like I found it was a bit of like it didn't feel move for move. And I felt like they picked up the pace, slowed it down at exactly the right time. It was never like too fast or too slow. Like they weren't working like at such they weren't selling anything, but also to get into plotting or get into the over dramatic like Shawn Michaels Triple H stuff where it's every move for 20 minutes. So that was good. Jericho teases the super kick and actually nails it on Sean to a nice near fall. I could have saw that being the end of the match if they were going to have Jericho go over. Desperation cross body uh, by Sean into some strikes. Jericho survives a catapult to the ring post and again neutralizes Sean with a strike to the back. Sean counters the top rope suplex and falls onto Jericho. Uh, but that is still not enough. He tosses Jericho off the rope and uh, hits the Sean elbow drop. The crowd is just completely worked up into a frenzy at this point, but Jericho gets him in the walls in the middle of the ring. Sean struggles and struggles, finally gets out. Um, Jericho runs into the sweet chin music, but that is still not enough to put him down. Uh, Sean hits his version of the flare flop, and so Jericho thinks this might be his window. He goes, uh, so he goes to take advantage Sean throws him into the corner. He ricochets off, and then Sean rolls him up with kind of the jackknife roll-up. Um, sort of similar to how he beat Triple H at SummerSlam, honestly, and he ends up stealing it that way. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I even, I've always been a fan of this match, and I felt like I liked it more on this viewing. I don't know if it's just because yes. all the feud and stuff was fresh in my head, but I just, I like I said a minute ago, like I just thought the pace of this was so spot on. Like I, I feel like, I mean, Jericho played his part, but, so far, he's kind of two for two, Sean, these big matches. And just, I always feel like his timing in these big matches is so well done. Like, he just has his, his like, comebacks always seem to come in the exact right time to get the crowd behind him. Jericho's heel work is awesome. Like, um, I don't know. Like, it's a weird thing. And I thought you would be a good person to talk to this about is that I feel like a lot of people, like, if they're Flair fans, are a lot of times Sean detractors and vice versa. But I think, I mean, obviously they're not that similar, but I think a thing that those two have in common is that they just have this, like, I feel like they have, like, this natural talent of just, like, reading how a match flows, and it's just, like, they just know when to pick up the match. Like, it's like a weird rhythm to them when they're in the ring. Like, they just know how to work the crowd and, like, slow it down and pick it up. Um, 
I don't know. And I thought that really showed through this. But uh, just a fantastic match. I thought Jericho was awesome. Just relentless with his aggression throughout it. Um, like what you mentioned earlier, he had been on uh, maybe a bit on a mass streak in the past few mm-hmm. months. I felt like this made him, like this 100% made you realize like why Jericho is such a star. So, uh, yeah, I liked all the little Jericho doing Sean stuff again without it being like too much. Like just throwing there the fuck with Sean every now and then just... Oh, man, we'll we'll get to the little post-match after, but I actually went four and a half on this. I think in the past it had been more like a four, four and a quarter, but I just, I dug it just a little bit more than I have in the past. I really thought it was awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, like, I'm past, I know I've talked about this on another pod, and I might have had some stuff to drink on that pod, I don't remember when I went <laughs> right. on it, but um, right. that, that was a long time ago, but I did rewatch this match uh, for this show, and Again, every time it's like you when I, you said it. When I watch this match, I like it better and better every time. And to your point, it might be because the build was fresh. Because maybe unlike some other pods, I do keep up with this one and I do keep up with the watch in the build, especially hitting the nineteen, which is my favorite WrestleMania. Um, yeah, this match is amazing. You know, it's very one of the things I like about this match is it's very even keeled, and they really keep it. Like, these guys, like, very early on, it's like there's nobody really gets the upper hand. They just go at it back and forth, back and forth, and nobody gets the upper hand. And then as the match progresses, what's also really cool about this match is they're in Seattle, and as the match progresses, the sun starts to set. And, like, the mood almost, like, shifts as the match progresses. As the sun sets, the match picks up, and it starts going, and it's really, really cool to watch. Um, I love Jericho hitting the switch, sweet chin music, which was awesome. He hits a really good one, and you don't really see him ever do that move, and that was awesome. Um, I loved, actually, the simplistic roll-up to finish because after all the counters and all the finishers, and I think there was, like, three walls of Jericho's that didn't finish the match, and there was the one, you know, sweet chin music Michaels did. The fact that it was such a simplistic finisher was awesome. Um, I just love the back and forth. I love the flow of the match. I think it was like total time was like 22 minutes and it was just 22 minutes of just brilliance. And I think if I, I'm like you, I think I'd probably go more four and a half at this point after watching it for this one. And I'll talk about the finish and what happens after the match in a minute, because I think there's some brilliance to that as well. But yeah, I love this match. I just thought it was fantastic. Just fantastic. Yeah, and again, I keep going. We mentioned Steamboat earlier, but it has, and I'm not saying it's necessarily up to the level of those. Like, I don't want to get crucified. Uh, but no, you're I not felt like, I felt, But I felt like this match had, <laughs> it had a similar vibe as like the Steamboat Flare stuff. Like I you said, it's where it's better. just. Mm-hmm, I think it's better. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I'm gonna say, oh, I thought you were going to say Steamboat. I thought you were going to say Steamboat Savage. Go ahead. No, no. I would Go say ahead. like Steamboat Flare in that. I, like in the same way, I found like those Steamboat Flare matches, it's very back and forth, but you never like check out. Like you never get to a point when you're watching those matches where, you know, one guy's in control for so long that you feel like you don't feel like you could hit the old 10 second skip on the Apple TV, Sean. Like you, you're like, invest- <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like, and I felt like that's how this match was. I never felt like I, it lost my attention. I'm like, oh, okay, this is Jericho. He's going to be down Sean for a while. Let me like, I can switch my brain off. Like they kept you engaged throughout the whole thing. Like it didn't feel like, all right, he's going to do a big move. He's going to do a big move. Like they made it much more interesting than that. You know, it's interesting you brought up the Apple, the break kayfabe there a little bit. Yeah, it's not like the whole, like, hey, 10 second, like, let's jump ahead on Apple because there's a chin lock or there's, like, this long pause. Mm-hmm. Like, legit, it was just 22 minutes of nonstop. You can't skip a beat of what's happening in this match because it's that good. And I love, I do like your comparison to Flair Steamboat because th- those matches are pretty much the same. It's just nonstop back and forth. 
they're both doing their thing and it never gets boring. So really good comparison on that. Now I was going to challenge you if it was going to be Flair Savage, but I won't because I think you did a good job on uh, Flair. Yeah, you're good. Right. I'm sorry, right. Savage yeah, Steamboat. Th- sorry, Savage Steamboat. Right. I'll be to you. That would be dog in the match. Right. Well, anyway, we'll move, on. It. We'll, we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. Both your hot takes in one uh, in one little uh, segment here as we get yes. your WrestleMania 19 love and your yes. savage uh, steamboat hate. But yeah, so we get to the uh, after the match. We you thinking we might get the old show of respect? Uh, I thought Jericho's was really good with the facials. Yeah, you know, like at the end, he looks completely exhausted. He looks legit close to tears. Uh, mm-hmm. He goes to hug, and then. Of course, not so fast. He kicks him straight in the nuts. So really great heel stuff just to show that he has not, this is not like a face turn thing. Um, I don't know. I thought it just legitimized him more as a heel. Like, I don't it know. I feel did. like this whole feud has has kind of picked him back up. And I, I'll, it'll be cool to see, you know, as I continue with the pod, like w- what goes on with Jericho following this? Like, do they capitalize on it? Does he kind of just fall back into being more of a, like sort of upper mid car guy, like where do they go with this? Yeah, it was cool. So here's the thing when I was watching this live. And so when he did the low blow spot, because at that point, before he did that, you thought they were going to go into one of those, Hey, we just had the spanger of a match. And you thought they were going to do one of those great, like, Hey, let's show respect spots. And they were going to shake hands and you're going to do that whole, Hey, everybody cheer for us. I love the fact that they didn't do that. And he just hit him right in the nuts. So yeah, that was a really great way to finish it. And, Continue on the trend of heel Jericho. And to your point, no spoilers. We'll see where it takes you on your pod as we move forward. So mm-hmm. great, great match, great ending. And uh, we just see where it goes from here. So awesome stuff. Yep. Yep. And so like you said, the sun setting in this match sort of kicks off the, uh, as we move towards the, uh, I guess the juicier part of the car, we could say, uh, as we've covered like uh, throughout this so far, like the undercard has been pretty solid, but this is the mm-hmm. first match that's kind of like, maybe blown it open and like now we see that this show might have some potential so we'll see um we'll see where it goes i'm going to wrap it up with this at least for part one of wrestlemania 19 i had to split it because it's just such a monumental show sean as i'm, I'm sure um but any as we close this out since you're covering this last one with me for part one any um what would be your thoughts on this undercard since you are such a big wrestlemania 19 fan what, what's the case for the the undercard here Listen, I I think overall, if you look at the undercard here, I mean, yes, it has its hits and misses, but I think for me, the women's title match, I mean, again, I'm trying to remember the, at the point of this recording, what's the flow of the, what matches you've covered Mm -hmm. already, because I don't remember the exact, the exact Mm -hmm. flow, but um, the Cruiserweight titles, the openers, not too bad. Um, The Undertaker Big Show tag team match, I thought pleasantly surprised, right? That came out of nowhere, I thought. I was actually thought that was pretty good. The women's title match is very underrated. We got three of the women there, and that's pretty much the only three women you got. I thought they delivered. So I don't think it's a terrible undercard, and they utilize what they got. And based on what they have, I don't think it's too bad. But to your point, this match is the first that really kicks off what's to come, and it gets even better from here. So um, buckle in. It it gets really, really good from here. And that's one of the reasons why it's one of my all-time favorites. So. Yeah, you arguably have like four main events on this show, depending on how you look at it. So. Or you could, or you could say three, and then you have Rock and Austin. Sorry, I had to be on brand. Sorry, Jake. So. <laughs> um, but we will see how this shakes out. Uh, thanks for coming and cover this one uh, with me, Sean. All right, but I will be next time. Um, so I hope all my uh, all my academic listeners come back to see uh, what kind of skulls get cracked. 
we go to part two of uh, WrestleMania 19 in this uh, wonderful podcast extravaganza. So I will see you then. Give me the countdown. Three, two, one. Static. 